Well, if you have your Bibles, I would encourage you to open up to Matthew chapter 7. We are entering into the, uh, the, the third lap, the final stretch of the Sermon on the Mount here. We've, we, we walked through chapter 5, we walked through chapter 6, and now we are entering chapter 7. And um, today's topic, I believe, I mean, I think every one of these topics is incredibly important. Um, you know, I thought last week, uh, Pastor Richard's uh, sermon on anxiety was really helpful um, because we are such an anxious society. And, uh, but Christians, we are freed from that. We're freed from living in anxiety. Well, this week, we're talking about judgmentalism. Amen? All right. Woo! Y'all are excited for this one. Um, uh, matter of fact, the, the title of today's sermon is Freed from Judgmentalism. Um, I, I thought about calling it Freed from Unrighteous Judgment, but then I, I, I thought, you know, that may not be specific enough. So I wanted to be really specific about what it is to judge unrighteously, and I think that is to be judgmental. And I think we'll see what that means. Um, yeah, we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna dive into this, because uh, this is something that needs to be defined in the, in the day in which we live. Am I right about that? Maybe something that's not particularly well understood. Judgment is often a hot-button topic in our culture today. Anybody? Can I get an amen on that one? Uh, yeah, anybody ever gone to Facebook jail? Uh, we all, we've all gotten in trouble from time to time. I mean, for saying something. Uh, I got in trouble a few times during the election a couple, you know, about two cycles ago. I learned uh, to be quiet about some things um, and, and to take a different approach. Uh, that's, that's just real, you know. Um, and, uh, and, and, and so we, we live in a culture today that people don't want to be judged, but they also, they, they also don't want to give up judging. Okay. Do you understand what I'm saying there? <laughs> they don't want to be judged, but they don't want to give up judging. I, I often hear this verse, Matthew 7, 1 quoted. It's almost always quoted in King James English. Uh, there was a guy I was listening to, uh, his name's Ed Stetzer. He's the head of the Billy Graham School of Evangelism at Wheaton College. And he said, why is it that every American has judged not lest ye be judged memorized? And for some reason it's in King James English. Because it's the only scripture they, they have memorized and it's, it's, it's just odd. Like nobody, like few, few people actually carry a King James Bible anymore. But, but for some reason it's, I think it's because that language feels more forceful. Yeah. Judge not, lest ye be judged. I'm like, whoa, take me back to 1700, baby. You know, uh, it's, it's that. But it, you, we hear this. I hear this quoted in secular space regularly. I was a philosophy major. I can't tell you how many times I heard this verse quoted to me. And, and, and generally, it's quoted as a way to sort of shut down Christians who challenge the world's narrative about reality. Right? It's almost like, you, Christian, shut up. Here's the one verse. You have to shut up. <laughs> They quote this within that context. Now, and, now, and I want to quote another line from a famous movie. The famed swordsman Inigo Montoya. Anyone? When he told, when he says uh, about the word inconceivable being constantly used, he says, you keep using that word, but I do not think that you know what it means. And I say the same about this passage of Scripture. You keep quoting that Scripture, but I don't know if you know what it means. But I also wonder if we Christians really fully understand what it means. 
Because we can't just call out the world. We have to understand maybe we have misunderstood Scripture as well. And maybe we've also been influenced by the world in some ways, and we want to recognize that so we can repent and turn back to God. Life is about repentance, right, church? Not just the one time you receive Jesus. That wasn't your one time to repent. We repent every day. When we, make up and we, we, we wake up in the morning, we make a choice to either pursue God or pursue the world. When I choose God, I'm repenting. It's a, it's a daily part of our lives. So, I want to ask this question because it's almost like this idea that the world thinks that we're never supposed to make any judgments, or at least we, Christians, aren't, um, or conservatives aren't, or, you know, whatever. Um, But is God really calling us to cease making judgment? I mean, some people take this and say, well, he says, judge not, but that's not all he's saying, is it? Judge not lest you be judged. Or, or in my translation, do not judge so that you won't be judged. There, that's modern English, you know? But can, can this truly be the meaning that we're supposed to just give up on making judgments altogether? I don't think that you can get that if you understand the context of the passage here. Jesus is not saying never judge, ever. He's saying be careful about how you judge. We literally make th- hundreds of judgments every day. We could, in fact, we could boil down, what is a judgment? Pa- this was, Pastor Richard said this the other day when he and I were, were meeting. He said, you know, judgment's really just a decision. It's like, that's a great definition. It's a decision that we make. And so we make hundreds of judgments each day. Uh, I'm going to give you Merriam-Webster's definition of the word judgment because, you know, why not? Uh, I, was, I was a college boy. Um, the process of forming an opinion or evaluation by discerning and comparing. Discernment, comparison. We, we're doing this all the time. I mean, you know, you make that decision whether you're going to have the McDonald's chicken nuggets or the Wendy's chicken nuggets. You know what I mean? It's Wendy's all the way, by the way. You, let's just be honest. It's, um, it's uh, yeah, that's right. And you can get a Frosty with it. <laughs> Um, we, we, uh, we make, we make a choice that now Chick-fil-A, that's, that's actually not a chicken nugget. That's a real chicken, you know? Um, so I, I, that, that's, to me, that's a whole nother category. It's, it's real chicken that they fried. That's Southern food. I, you know, I love it. Um, but yeah, we make decisions about what we're going to eat. We make judgments about what we're going to wear. I woke up this morning and I was like, yeah, I'm going to wear my blue plaid with the blue undershirt because it's going to look cool, you know? I mean, I hope we all, we all kind of think about, hey, what am I going to put on today? How am I going to present myself to people? We make judgments about how we drive. Some of us need to judge better, you know? Um, <laughs> I'm out there on the roads in Oklahoma. I, I went to Walmart last night. I didn't know we were going to have a torrential downpour. On my way, it starts raining, and I'm like, it's not that I'm concerned about me. You guys know what happened that one time in my Subaru. I don't drive little cars anymore. I drive the, a Land Rover now, and I'm not afraid of anything. It's a tank, you know? So, but, but I'm afraid of the other people. <laughs> we make judgments about how we drive. We make judgments about... Whether or not we're going to go to work or school, those have consequences. We make judgments about what we will value and believe to be true and right. Everyone makes hundreds of judgments every single day. The truth is that a person who is unable to make judgments, we consider them to be mentally impaired. I mean, it's true. There's an actual psychological 
word for this. It's cognitive dysfunction. And realize cognitive dysfunction is a symptom of schizophrenia. If, if a person who's not able to make judgments is not a healthy person. A judgment, if we think of it as simply a decision, then we know that judgment in and of itself is not a bad thing. When we start getting in trouble is when we start acting like God in the way that we judge other people. And, and that's not to say that we're not supposed to judge character or whether a, a spade is a spade or whether something is sin or not. We're, we're supposed to do that. We judge spiritual fruit and we judge people's character, but we, it's not our job to judge someone's heart. That's, that's God's job, to judge the intention of a person's heart. So, all that said, I, I, I think we kind of get the idea. Jesus is not calling us to forego judging altogether, but he's calling us to judge in a way that is biblically informed and where Christ and his glory is at the heart of what we're doing, not selfish gain, not just being right. So, so in a nutshell... That's what we're going to look at today. We're going to dive into the scriptures. We're going to see what Jesus has to say about this. We're going to unpack it. And then we're going to learn to apply it. Okay? You ready to go there with me? Okay, let's, let's in our minds, we're in a plane and we're, going, we're up on this journey. We're flying somewhere. God has a, a place he wants to take us. So are we all in the air now? Okay, good. Then we can read the scripture and move on. All right. Matthew chapter 7, verses 1 through 6. Do not judge so that you won't be judged. For you will be judged by the same standard with which you judge others, and you will be measured by the same measure you use. Why do you look at the splinter in your brother's eye, but don't notice the beam of wood in your own eye? Or how can you say to, to your brother, let me take the splinter out of your eye, and look, there's a beam of wood in your own eye. Hypocrite, first take the beam of wood out of your eye. And then you, will, then you will see clearly to take the splinter out of your brother's eye. Don't give what is holy to dogs or toss your pearls before pigs, or they will trample them under their feet, turn, and tear you to pieces. This is the word of the Lord. Can we give God praise for his word this morning? Father, Father, we thank you because you've given us your holy word. We're grateful that we have the opportunity to, to open up this word and to, and to understand what it is that you want to say to us today. We want to hear we want to hear you in this, God. We know that it's possible to hear your word and do nothing with it. And James tells us we're not to be hearers of the word only, but also doers of it. We don't want to be like the person who goes and looks in the mirror and walks away and immediately forgets what they look like. We don't want to walk away from this word and immediately forget. We want you to help us. Holy Spirit, do what only you can do, and that's make this come alive in us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So let's look at some truth. What, what is God telling us through his word today? And there's a few things I want to point out. That the first thing that we see from verse 1 here is the way we judge people sets a precedent for how we will be judged by people. The way we judge people sets a precedent for how we are going to be judged by people. There's a difference between making a judgment and passing judgment. Okay? That's, a, that's an important point of distinction. And I, I think we need to understand this. We need to be able to make this distinction between these two so that we can avoid 
the latter part of that, passing judgment. We want to make good judgment, but we don't want to pass judgment. So the sort of judging that Jesus warns us against goes far beyond making values or truth judgments about a person's character or beliefs. It's perfectly okay to look at a person who's not living a Christian life and say, I don't, I don't know if that person's a believer. In other words, we don't have to accept everyone as being an orthodox evangelical, you know, whatever, whatever we want. You know, evangelical meaning just gospel people. I'm not saying like evangelical in the denominational sense. We, we, don't have to say, we don't have to say, well, just because you call yourself a Christian, that means you're a practicing believer. It's okay to make certain values judgments. It's okay to say, hey, I love this person, but they're not really walking with the Lord right now. It's okay to make those kinds of judgments. But what we're talking about is going far beyond that to the point of condemning that person. We're moving to condemnation. So moving from saying, well, uh, you know, this person's really struggling or this person claims to know Jesus but isn't walking with him to saying, you know what, I'm going to just cancel this person. They're condemned. They're not worth my time anymore. I don't want anything to do with them, which is a popular thing to do in our culture today, isn't it? The Greek term that we use here, um, the, 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 not we, the apostles actually in the Holy Spirit <laughs> through them, the, the Greek term is, uh, we translate it as judge, but um, it's a particular type of judgment. And the word is crinete. I know that doesn't really matter. I just, I just say it. I mean, maybe you want to look it up later, or look at your Strong's Concordance or something. But, um, but, but I'm, I'm, I point it out because in this context, it means something a little different than just like the general idea of, of judging, like just making a decision or make, have, forming a, an opinion on something. There's more to it here. The same, uh, it, it, the term relates to carrying out a judicial process. Judge, jury, executioner, boom, you know. The same terminology is used when describing what Christ experienced on the cross. He was condemned. It's the same general concept here. So, Again, we know the English word condemnation. We talk about that. We, we, you know, we, that's a word that does get used from time to time. But, but I want to define it well. And once again, Merriam-Webster, they just, they just do such a good job over there, you know. Um, to declare to be reprehensible, wrong, or evil, usually after weighing evidence or without reservation. And I think that without reservation part is really important for us to understand. Um, another meaning of condemnation, to pronounce guilty, convict, to sentence, to doom. Um, an example they gave was a, a, to condemn a prisoner to die. That's the context of judging that Jesus is warning us against. Don't write somebody off. Don't condemn them. Don't, don't act like you're God and you have the ability to make that final judgment on somebody and say, well, that person's too far gone. They're going to spend eternity in hell. They're not worth my time. Or, or the world may say, well, well that, that person's just a racist. So we're done with them. Canceled. Uh, wh- whether whether that, that's true or not, right? Or, 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 hey, you're just homophobic. Canceled. Do you understand what I'm saying? <laughs> the world is just as good at it as, as religious people are. 
They just do it in different ways. But we, we need to recognize it's not just out there. It's in us too. Je- see, Jesus is mostly talking to you and me here. And we need to realize, we need to see those tendencies in the world. But more importantly, we need to see that it's in us too. It's really easy for us to look at someone, well, that's just a liberal. Eh, canceled. You see, judging with a, condemn, with a condemning heart is the problem here. That's what Jesus is calling out. I'm going to say something really hard. I'm going to tell you, when I wrote this down, it actually stung my own soul, okay? So you're, I'm not just saying this to you because it hurt me, okay? I, I, but I do, my, I'm, we might need to form a support group. <laughs> um, but, but I've experienced this myself. Some of the problems we Christians have in our culture today are self-inflicted. This is a hard word. I'm, I'm telling you, I'm wrestling with this. <laughs> because though not always true, some of the ire that we draw from the culture is because at times we have acted prudishly rather than with charity in our culture. We've, we've come at the culture with our truth and we've taken it and we've used it as, we've weaponized it. Many Christians, we've gotten too comfortable with being the dominant force in the culture, and that's led to pride. Now, we just went through Pride Month, and we talked about, we had some issues with pride, but we need to understand we've got our own pride that God's trying to deal with. Pride is what has led many of us to use our truth as a weapon for winning a culture war rather than as a bomb to heal a broken society. I think God wants us to change the way we think about truth. Yeah, um, pride has led us to use truth as a weapon for winning a culture war rather than as a bomb to heal a broken society. I think it's important for us to remember that Jesus' disciples wanted to pick up swords, but he insisted on carrying a cross instead. I'm not saying, I'm not a pacifist, okay? I'm not. I got bang-bangs in my house, okay? Uh, I, I'm, I am an oaky, and I got a little bit of redneck in me, okay? I am no pacifist. But I, but I want you to know that there is a time for picking up a weapon, and there's a time for laying it down. And... There are few times, Christians, where we are called by God to pick up a weapon with regards to the gospel. You may have to when defending your family. You you, you have to if the commander-in-chief calls upon you to go to war. By the way, it's not our job to decide whether or not a war is just. That's the president's and the Congress's job. It's our job to do what they ask us to do. So, So there are times... But most of the time is not a time for picking up a weapon. It's time for carrying a cross with Jesus. Second thing that we see in verse 2, the measure we set forth will be used against us. I want to ask you a question. I've been asking myself this question, but how do you want your life to be measured? You know, I, I grew up thinking that this was talking about how God would measure us. Like, God would measure me by the way that I measured other people. And there is some truth to that because we see, like, in the parable of the unforgiving servant, the unforgiving servant refused to forgive, and God, and, and the, well, not God, but the master who represents God in the story said, 
okay, if you're going to treat him that way, I'll treat you that way. So yeah, there's a little bit of truth to that. But I'm, I actually, through my studying, have realized Jesus is not so much talking about the way God's going to respond to us, but the way the world will respond to us. If, if we measure the world in a certain way, don't be surprised when they measure us back in the same way. Peter in 1 Peter 3 encourages us that it's better to suffer for doing good than it is for doing bad. So he says, look, the world, can I just be honest with you right now about something? There's nothing you can do as a Christian to make the world like you. You you carry the truth of the gospel and they hate it so much they crucified Jesus because of it. Like Christ is the physical embodiment of the gospel and we put him on a tree. And he was so good. And if they treated him that way, how much more us? I'm going to tell you, I am not good like Jesus. I got all kinds of problems. There's all kinds of holes in me. Matter of fact, there are times when I deserve a cross. Jesus never did, and they still hung him on it. I am a hypocrite on my best day. Jesus was perfect. See what I'm saying? Like, we, thanks to the power of the Holy Spirit, in us we are overcoming our sin, but we're not a finished product yet. So, I love it. Like, if, here's, here's a great way to deal with the, with, with the world. When they call out some sin in you, be like, you're right. Thanks for noticing that. I gotta take that to the Lord. <laughs> Instead, see, we don't have to be defensive. Christians, we don't have to. We know we're messed up. We know we're broken. We can acknowledge that all day long. Say, but we're overcoming in Christ. And then we call people to say, you're broken too, and you also can overcome in Christ if you'll repent and believe. Right? That was free. That wasn't even a part of the sermon. Okay, so <laughs> if, people, if we are a people marked by charity, by Christian love, by grace and mercy towards even our enemies, then won't the world look silly when they pass judgment on us? That's what Peter's saying in 1 Peter 3. Make them look foolish for the way they treat you. God is going to judge the world by a standard that he's already set forth. Do you know what that standard is? It's himself, his glorious son, Jesus. Everything that Adam should have been, Christ was. Right? Adam rejected who God made him to be and walked away from God, and we are sons of Adam and daughters of Eve. But we're being redeemed through Christ. So now we're in Christ. We're no longer who we used to be, those of us who are Christian. But we are new people in Christ. And so our task now is to learn what it looks like to be like Jesus instead of like Adam. And that's a process. The good thing for us is if God is judging us, God's the one who's ultimately going to bring the final judgment to us. And if we're in Christ, he's going to see Jesus in us. That's good news. <laughs> but for us, because let's remember this, that even though we deserve all of the wrath of God, he's kind to us. Even though we deserve hell, we get heaven and the righteousness of Christ. Not because of anything we did, but all because of what Christ has done for us. Right? So, 
does that not emphasize the importance of how we should treat other people, even the worst people, with kindness? I'm going to tell you that there's no one in this world who could ever offend you to the level that you have offended God the Father. And he crushed his son in your place. If, if I judge my life and others by human standards, that's a weight that will always crush. People who don't know God tend to be making up new rules because they have to justify themselves. That's why the Pharisees had 600 and some whatever rules that weren't in the Bible. It's, it's because, you know, Jesus called them out. He says, you guys don't really know God. That's why you got all this stuff. You don't know God. Man, can you imagine showing up to some religious leaders and be like, this is why you neither know God nor the power of the scriptures. <laughs> I mean, he, he said that to the teachers of the law. He also isn't afraid to say that to us when we're wavering. <laughs> but, but the world does this. The world, whether it's a religious world like it was in Jesus' day, it was religious, but they weren't really walking with the Lord. In our day, it's secular humanism that's the religion. But they're always making up rules. Here's your 638 rules for how to be a, a good citizen in this secular West. And I just want to be like, man, you're trying to kill us all. Who's, who can measure up to that standard? Or any man-made standard, by the way. But, but think about it. They think that this life is all that they have. And, and, and if someone would infringe on their supposed happiness, it's not just a threat to their personal freedom. It's an existential threat. It's a threat to their, their very existence. Their very sense of satisfaction in life. And that's why people fight so hard. They're deriving their value from acceptance of others rather than from acceptance by God. Now, if we aren't careful, we can fall into those same patterns. And if we do so, it will pervert our Christianity. When we get angry and we hate others who believe different from us, we show that we're looking to their acceptance for fulfillment. Now, hear me out on this, Christian. If you... If you see someone who is way off the deep end crazy and some like, you know, I, I want to be careful about the words that I choose here. Um, but, but if you see someone who's just so anti-Scripture, and, that, and, and, and it's okay to be frustrated about that, but if your anger becomes like hatred toward that person, man, I just, <clears throat> I just hate that kind of person. Oh, we have to be real careful about that. Because there's a part of us that is looking to them for satisfaction, for acceptance. And, and what really angers us isn't that they're different than we are. It's that they're not, they don't accept us. We're not accepted by them. We can get angry at the culture because it doesn't accept our ways. And here's what Jesus is calling us to. He, he's saying, listen, you don't need that. You're already everything you need to be in the Father. You're accepted. You have a better kingdom. You're going to stand before the Father and He's going to pronounce you forgiven in Christ. You don't need their acceptance. So you don't have to be mad at them. They're, they're just doing what, what they're going to do. My, the, one of the guys who discipled me, 
I was super mad about something one day, <laughs> and it was, you know, it was this one of those moments that I, I felt like I was like on Bob Newhart's couch, you know, but, um, but, but we're having this conversation. I was really mad about like just sin in the world. I was just like, I was just going off on this stuff, man, sexual immorality and like, and, and all that was, was, was right in, in some way, but I was really mad about it. And, and he was like, he looked at me, he's like, you know, Nick, pagans are going to do what pagans are going to do, man. <laughs> and I was like, whoa, he's right. <laughs> They're not Christian. Why am I, why am I, why am I expecting them to be Christian? They're not. Like, we're different. Like, we, okay, we ought to mourn over the state of the world. Like, weep over it. Desire for the world to be transformed, but anger and hatred and condemnation, man, Christ doesn't want that stuff to be in us. That weighs us down. That's a road for the devil to get into us too, by the way, and mess with us. Instead, he wants us to be at peace like he is at peace. God is honest about brokenness where he sees it, but he's gracious towards the broken. And he, I think he calls us to repent, but he also extends charity to us. I want to point out one more thing. God does not take joy in condemning the wicked. How do I know that? Because he says so. In Ezekiel chapter 18, verse 23, he says, Have I any pleasure in the death of the wicked, declares the Lord, and not rather that he should turn from his way and live. What God takes delight in is repentance and belief. God does not take delight in condemnation. He doesn't, he, God will never enjoy condemning any person to hell. Doesn't mean he won't do it because it's necessary. Because if people reject him and reject the gospel, there's only one natural place for them and it's as far from him as they possibly can be. People go to hell not because God enjoys it. or like God's not Zeus sitting up on the mountain trying to hit people with a lightning strike. God, the real God, is a God who crushes his very own son so that we might be redeemed. He hits himself with the lightning strike. You understand? He's different than that. So, so God's not taking joy in anyone dying apart from Christ. He's not taking joy in sinners refusing to repent, and so now he gets to smite them finally. No, God brings his wrath down because it is necessary because of the, the lack of justice. Justice cries out for God's wrath. But God in his mercy is trying to save as many as he possibly can from that. And, and there are many, even in the church today, who have right opinions, who have good theology, and proper judgment about many things, but unlike the Father, they take a lot of joy in leveraging what they know to condemn people. And I just think we have to be careful about that. Jesus is saying, hey, don't judge in that way. God says, vengeance is mine. I will repay. You don't have to bring vengeance. And, and, and that, by the way, people who have that mindset, they are the ones who want to use the truth like a bat to whack somebody over the head instead of use it as a bomb and apply it to the brokenness. 
And I just want to encourage you. I know we feel sometimes like if I could just get the bat out and whack somebody with it, I could knock some sense into them, right? I, I feel that way too sometimes, but we're never going to have a positive impact on the world. We're never going to see this world change the way that we want it to change if that's how we're acting because they're just as good at picking up a bat, <laughs> maybe better in some ways. I mean, Jesus even, in one of his parables, said the sons of this world are more shrewd than the sons of the kingdom in dealing with things that they have. And they can be really mean. And I don't want to set a precedent for carrying a bat around if the other guy might be better at swinging it. <laughs> How do we want to handle this then? I would encourage us to apply the truth everywhere we are but to do it in a kind and gracious way instead of in an aggressive and angry way. The wise look inward before looking outward. That's what Jesus tells us in verses 3 and 5, 3 through 5. He, look, he says, look, why? I love this picture, by the way. Uh, <laughs> why do you look at the splinter in your brother's eye but don't notice the beam of wood in your own eye? I just have, in my head, I just, I see like, you know, the beam that you install over a garage door. It's just it's like, what in the world? How would you even walk around with that? That's the point. It's like, hey, your brother may have a splinter, but uh, look at what's in your own face before you go trying to pluck his splinter out. Looking inward helps us to see the truth about ourselves. We all have hurts and hang-ups. I want to I free you from something this morning, Christian. I want to free you from pretending like you have it all together. You don't have to do that in Jesus. You don't have to pretend like you've got it all together. When you come to this church, you don't have to come and put a face on. In fact, if someone says, hey, how are you? And you say, I'm terrible. That's fine. We'll pray for you. We'll, we'll, we're, we're a family. We're here to help one another grow to be like Jesus, right? You don't have to put a mask on. I know some of you came into this place and you feel like junk today. You didn't sleep very well. Your kids annoyed you this morning. Your husband or wife annoyed you this morning. The fact that you didn't have a husband or wife annoyed you this morning. Uh, all kinds of things. We come into this place, there's a lot of hurt in us. We can acknowledge that. It's okay. God wants to heal that in us. But part of when we look inward and we see our own brokenness, and we're honest about it. We, we love to use the word authenticity in this culture, right? There's no one who has the potential to be more authentic than a Christian. Because you know the reality about who you really are, and you know the reality about who you're becoming in Christ. And that person is really cool. So we can acknowledge our brokenness knowing what Christ is doing in us. And we can relish in the power of Christ to transform us. Proverbs 27, 19 was one of my favorite verses as a young man. It says, As in water, face reflects face, so the heart of a man reflects a man. I remember quoting that to myself. Because, I, you know, I wanted, to really, I wanted to really look like a Christian. But sometimes when I looked at myself, I saw the world still, and I wanted that to go away. 
But it's important to look and acknowledge what's still broken in me. And, and this is a critical practice for us who claim Christ. It truly is. Look, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 5. The Apostle Paul writes, Examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves, or do you not realize that this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you, unless you indeed fail to meet the test. And, and I don't think Paul here is trying to get you to doubt your salvation. I don't think that's the point. But I think what he's trying to do is he's trying to get us always looking and remembering and asking the question, do I look like a Christian today? If they brought charges, would I be convicted of being a Christian? Matthew 23, 27, Jesus says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you are like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanliness. What kind of Christian are we? Are we the kind that is truly being transformed and different inside? Or do we look the part when we come to church on Sunday, but then the rest of the week, eh? It's entirely possible to be religious and still far from God at the same time. And so, look, looking inward gives us the freedom to be honest about what we're still struggling with so that when we approach someone about what they're struggling with, we're not just full of pride. So I'm not looking at someone who's struggling with something and be like, oh, look what you did. I can walk up to them and be like, hey, you know what's crazy? I'm just as bad as you are, but look what Christ is doing in me. You know, he wants to do this for you too. He wants to redeem that brokenness in you. We don't preach to sinners. We are sinners who are being redeemed. And so we're, we're in a journey together. So we're walking, and I can link my arm with somebody who's struggling and be like, listen, I can prove to you how Jesus loves you because look what he's doing in me. We don't have to play those games that the world plays to try to make ourselves look good on the outside. We can be honest. Look, I, I, I probably have a lot more to say about this, but um, I also realize that attention spans are a real thing. So um, I'm going to pause this. I, I want to encourage us to do something today with, with this word. I'm going to encourage us to take some time as we walk through the week and, and just pay careful attention, pay careful attention to how we react to those who disagree with us or who annoy us. <laughs> and, and I want to ask, look, th- ask yourself this question honestly. Do they make you angry? Do they make you feel hatred? It's okay to be honest about that. In fact, we have to be if we want to grow up in Christ. And then I want to encourage us as we're working through that, what, how am I, what am I feeling? Maybe ask the question, why do I feel this way? And go to the Lord and say, Lord, what's going on in me that's causing me to assume this about them, to feel this about them? And can you help me to have a perspective that looks like your son Jesus instead of a perspective that looks like my father Adam? And in doing that, And being very intentional about that, here's something that's really cool. The Holy Spirit 
will come alongside of you and me. And he'll walk with us, and he'll teach us to use truth as a bomb instead of a bat. He'll, he'll teach us how to be humble in the way that we approach people. He'll teach us to judge without being judgmental. He'll do that for us. Christians, we have more to offer the, wor- the world than anyone else does. We have something to say about where this society is going. You know that? We do. God, in fact, we're here to be the salt of the earth, which means we're a, we're, we're a preservative God is applied to this place, and we're, we are called by God to speak out, but to speak out with humility, with an openness to other people, to be the first one to listen to someone else, even if they're totally wrong. Maybe even yield to them and let them share first, and then we share. But but to do so in a humble way, because I think that if we, if we really lean into this, we might see some really surprising things happen in our culture. Because people might start listening to the church again and not just viewing the church as a burden that they have to put up with. I want to pray for us. Pastor Dwight, if you have anything you want to add, well, um, Lord, we are thankful because we know you're on the move. Uh, we know that you are poking at us and you're prodding us in your word, but it's not because you want to crush us, crush us. It's because you want us to be like your son, Jesus. And Father, I love how you stir up our brokenness. I don't always love it in the moment, but Father, I love how you do that because you, you bring things out and you say, hey, look, this doesn't look like me yet, so let's work on this. And I love that, Father. So this morning, as we have thought about these things and been challenged and probably poked in some ways, we really didn't want to be poked, Lord. Help us this morning, Lord, to have a supernatural awareness of the way you're calling us to relate to very broken people in this world so that we can judge without being judgmental, so we can make, so we can display the glory of Christ in this culture. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for taking time out of your day to listen to the New Covenant Fellowship podcast. We want to connect with you. You can visit us online at ncfokc.org for more information about our church. If God spoke to you and you'd like prayer, please text us at 405-518-5164 and we will get back with you. God bless and have a great day.